All right, uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, the gift of reverse. I don't know if you've ever driven a car without a reverse gear. I, I had a friend who had a car who did, didn't have reverse, and, and so he would always drive very carefully and uh, be careful where he didn't even, like, I can't pull in there because I'll never get out. Um, but that's not what, when I, when I talk about the gift of reverse, I don't mean the gear reverse. Uh, I, I don't mean that at all. In fact, what I mean by the gift of reverse today is a reversal of circumstances or an exchange of situation, a swap, a, a reversal. That's what I'm talking about at Christmas. The gift that God gave us is Jesus is the gift of reverse, a reversal of circumstances. Uh, we had um, in recently our staff and elder Christmas gathering, and we had a great time. Uh, we gathered at my uh, assistant, Karna, um, her house, and we were packed in there. It was great. But we have a cr- traditional white elephant Christmas gift exchange. We do this every year. It's a mix of good gifts and a mix of gifts that no- nobody wants, and uh, it's just always a hoot. And, and as in most white elephant exchanges, there's gift stealing that go on, and so what you open, you may not end up with. And, and so because there's a mix of good and b- bad gifts, you know, it's really a risk what you, when you open a present. You don't know what you're going to get. And so this year, I grabbed one from under the tree, and I, and I opened up. It was a gift bag, and I opened it up, and it was a bag of diapers, I couldn't imagine something less useful for me at my stage in life. Uh, I I have six children. My youngest is seven years old. Uh, I don't need diapers. I don't want diapers. I don't ever want to see diapers again. In fact... (laughs) Uh, I have a little PTSD from diapers. I've changed so many diapers in my life, and I'm not yet to the place where I need them myself, uh, and I hope that's a ways off. So, uh, I mean, I guess I could tape, they were little, I could tape them together. I don't know. But uh, regardless, I can't imagine anything that was not helpful to me, and we can thank Megan Jaquist for bringing that gift. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> you want some diapers. Go see Megan. So anyway, you know, Normally, if you end up with a gift at one of these things, it might get stolen, but I was pretty sure no one ever in that group was stealing this gift, and I was stuck with it until Karna, my, my assistant, her husband, Dave, was there. It was right towards the end of the, end of the thing, and he looks at mine, and I don't know if he took pity on me or what. He grabbed my bag of diapers, and I basically swapped with me, and I got his wine glasses, which was way better than diapers, and I was super excited. But It was like, it was a great reversal. He got the thing I didn't want, and I got something useful. Uh, uh, it was a reversal of circumstance. And, and I think when we think about Christmas and this idea that God is with us, you know, God owes us nothing. But in this great reversal, he, he gives us everything. And in Jesus, we have this gift, this indescribable gift. And so that's the series we're in. And it's from, uh, it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul is encouraging these Christians in Corinth to, to give generously to other Christians in need. And he reminds them that they should give because they have been given the indescribable gift. It's, he says, thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. And so today, and over these last few weeks, we've been talking about the ways in which Jesus is an indescribable gift to us. Uh, two weeks ago, God is with us in Emmanuel. God with us. God gave us himself. Last week, we talked about the gift of a king or a ruler. Jesus is the perfect ruler. And then today, the gift of reverse. 
And so what I want to know today, as you are thinking about, like, why should I listen to Dave today? I have a question for you. Do you need a reversal in life? A reversal of fortune? A reversal of status? A reversal of circumstances? Do you need just a a reversal of your entire life? You're like, I want a do-over. I don't know where you're at in life, but I wonder if you ask yourself that question. If there's one thing that I want you to write down today, it's just what I'm going to tell you right now. If there's one thing you remember, it's this. God owes us nothing. God owes us nothing, but in a great reversal, he gives us everything. He owes us nothing, and he gives us everything. And so today we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46, as we dig into this hymn or this song that Mary wrote. And for Luke, it's the first of four songs that he is going to record in the birth narrative of Jesus. And so if you were uh, looking there in chapter one, he he talks about Mary's song, and then we get uh, later on into Zachariah's song, and then we see the angel's song, and and lastly, we end up with the song of Simeon. And so we have these these, these hymns that help us. Even in, in Luke's day, he was remarking on Christmas in song. And it's just fascinating. So we're going to dig into this. And this first hymn, this first song, Christmas song, is written by Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you may have heard this referred to as the Magnificat. It might even say that in your Bible there, the Magnificat. And Christians termed this or came up with this word, this title for this hymn, because it comes from the Latin. For many centuries, Christians read from the, the Latin Bible. And the very first word in Latin in this phrase is Magnificat. So if you say that, you speak Latin, congratulations. And, uh, and that's the title that has come over this. So uh, first of all, a little context before we dig into why Luke records Mary's song right here. Um, if you can just think back, Mary is a teenage girl who is engaged. Uh, it's a legally binding commitment in the ancient world for ancient Jews. It was this, this legally binding commitment. And she's recently been told by this angel, you probably remember this, that she's pregnant. And she says, time out. Uh, something hasn't happened that would make that possible. And, uh, and the angel says, nothing, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so she objects, but God tells her this is of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing she does is to leave her town and go to visit another town to visit her relative, Elizabeth, who is this old lady. Elizabeth's an old lady who is also pregnant. God has told her that her and Zechariah are going to conceive a child, and she's done this, and this will be John the Baptist, and she's fairly, she's much farther along, a few months farther along than Mary. And so when Mary gets to Elizabeth and they greet each other, the child inside Elizabeth jumps for joy. She can feel the child leap, and she tells Mary this, and she blesses Mary and the child in her womb. And it's all of this that causes Mary to pen the words to this song. In this, she highlights the great reversal that she believes has taken place in her life and the great reversal that will be for all the people. And so this great reverse of life circumstances isn't just for Mary. It's not just for the Israelites of the first century. It's for you and for me because God owes us nothing. But in a great reversal, he gives us everything. So let's look at the text 
Um, the first four verses of this will help us to see Mary's circumstances. If you were to break this text in half in, into two kind of parts, the first part is Mary is grateful and humble for the reversal of circumstances in her own life. And then beginning in verse 50 and on, we're going to see that there's a great reversal for all the people, for Israelite circumstances in particular. And so let's start with this first part as just two, two points today this reversal of Mary's personal circumstances. And these verses, they're powerful because they're personal. And she applies this to her own life. And you and I, I think, can apply the same message to our lives. So let's look. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Mary has found a great joy in something here. She says, my spirit, my soul, in, in, in literature or in poetry, it's just a way of saying the same thing. She says it twice. My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices. She's just kind of talking about the same thing and saying, internally inside me, there is a great rejoicing. Well, why is she so happy? Because it really on the surface doesn't make sense that she would be so happy. Because her circumstances are not great right now. And she talks about her lowly estate or her humble circumstances. In other words, life is not so great if you just look on it from the outside. He says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Think about her humble circumstances for a second. She's a young woman, she's poor, and she's average. That's Mary. Poor and average. Uh, she's nobody important. She's at the bottom of the social scale. Secondly, she's also engaged and pregnant. And for a young Jewish woman, this is terrible news. For a young Jewish woman to be pregnant while engaged was worthy of death. She could have been killed for this because it meant that she had been unfaithful to her husband or to who, the man to whom she's engaged. And in that time, what she has done in being engaged to him was legally binding. And so she could be killed. And you might look at this and think, an engaged woman being pregnant, no one is calling her blessed. If anything, they're saying she's cursed because either A, she's an adulterer and it's not going to go well for her, or B, let's say this story she's telling everyone about being conceived by the Holy Spirit and this child in her, and let's say that's true. Well, most people will go, that's a curse. That's not a blessing. It's true. If it's true she's divinely impregnated, it's a curse because it's not going to go well for her. Yet Mary says, from now on, all generations will call me not cursed, but blessed. The thing that no one is saying. In fact, about Elizabeth is probably the only one that's blessing her. Uh, Joseph, if he knows at this point, which it's kind of unclear of when he knows, but he finds out eventually. Um, but if he knows, he's scratching his head going, I don't understand this. Certainly Mary's parents are not going to feel blessed. I mean, this is shameful. 
for their daughter to be pregnant. Their neighbors, they're, they're not saying she's blessed. When they find out, they're going to call this a curse. But she sees her shame and believes that God is going to reverse it. She sees her difficult circumstances and believes that God is going to reverse them. She sees into the future and she believes that God is going to reverse her curse and that generations to come will honor her. She believes God. She believes what the angel has told her. And there is no way there's no way at this point that Mary could have possibly understood what having the Christ child inside her would eventually mean. There is no way that Mary could look forward and understand all the things that Jesus would be, not just to her, but to the, all the people. There's no way. She could not have understood the Trinity at this point, that there's one God existing in three it persons like she couldn't have pro processed that she didn't necessarily understand the hypostatic union the two natures of Jesus that this child in her would be both fully God and fully man without division or or separation like there's two personalities but one being two natures she couldn't have got all that two natures one being she didn't know about the extent of his future miracles she couldn't have known what he would do and how he would bless she couldn't have known the great price he would pay. That he would spread out his arms and let his created people kill him. Or that he would defeat death. She couldn't have understood the atonement of Jesus for all of our sins. Yet she looks in the future and says, this is not a curse. It's a blessing. At this point, all she should be able to see is her humble estate, her lowly position, her bad circumstances, but she believes God. She'll believe, she believes that he'll bless her. She believes that this baby will be great. She believes that this child comes with a promise. She believes the baby will reverse her circumstances. And she believes God will reverse her shame and replace it with honor because Mary knows that God owes her nothing. Yet he has given her and will give her everything in Jesus. You see, it's true for us too. God owes us nothing. But in the great reversal, he gives us everything in Christ. Just stop for a second and let's just reflect on the gospel. Because the Father owed me nothing. I owe God everything. Yet, but in sending Jesus, who was born with the purpose of dying, he gave me everything. He took my sin. He... He gave me life. In the, in the resurrection, God gave me new life that I don't deserve. And, and this, is, this is the gospel. The gospel is a great reversal. My sin, my shame, he takes, he puts it on Jesus and he bestows on me honor and holiness. It's amazing. Even in the humblest circumstances, I can see that my future has a great reversal too. My spiritual status now is reversed and I am called a holy child of God. My circumstances are now seen in the light of a future hope. And just like Mary, I see that God has blessed me in Christ and he will bless me in having a future with Christ. And this is my greatest joy. And it's for you too. Like this gospel message 
this good, great reversal. I don't know if you ever have a moment where your own sin or shortcomings or shame are so overwhelming to you that you just go, God, how could you love me? And yet he does. He takes that and he reverses it and he says, not, not only do I love you, but I've reversed your sin and your curse and your shame and I've placed all that on Jesus and instead I call you my loved child, a holy one. Like Mary can't necessarily understand all this, but you and I looking back can see it clearly what Jesus does for us. It's our greatest joy. So Mary takes her shame and her circumstances and she sees that God is reversing them for his glory. So I want to know, like Mary, have you found joy in your humblest of circumstances? Um, Because Mary found joy because her life wasn't wasted. She saw that her personal purpose was the glory of God working through her and she trusted him in this. When you feel like an eternal failure, the only way to find joy is to cling to the hope in the future. Your life is not wasted. In faith, do you believe that God is going to use you for his purpose and for his glory and it brings meaning? Otherwise, you're just wandering in the dark trying to grasp some sort of personal meaning out of life. But God says, it's not up to you to find personal meaning. I'm going to reverse your circumstances and your meaning is going to come and finding fulfillment and joy in me. This is not like, okay, uh, it's, this is not the power of positive thinking. Like some people would say, okay, well, in the, in the bad circumstances in life, what you need to do is just find something positive to dwell in. You know, just, just think positive and good things will happen. That is not what Mary's doing here because that's garbage. Because if you just think positive, nothing changes because you need someone else to change it for you. That's God. And that's what Jesus represents. The Christian finds joy in humble circumstances because we hold to the promise that our lives will have meaning because we bring glory to God, not because we get everything we want. Look what Mary says. He who has done, excuse me, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. If there's anything that Mary sees in her own personal humble circumstances is that the great reversal in her life means that her life will bring glory to God. Holy is his name. And this is her hope. Mary finds blessedness in accomplishing the purpose that God sets out for her and seeing God glorified. I don't know what cursed situation you're in today. Maybe your situation is simply that everything, all the goals you set for your life never worked out and you feel cursed. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's things aren't working the way you want. Maybe it's, it's you're like, Dave, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. And, and I don't. But what I do know is God wants to take that curse and use it as a blessing for his glory. And this in process elevates you. The great reversal means that in our humblest of circumstances, God exalts us in Jesus and God uses us for his glory because of who we are in Christ.
In the great reversal, it means finding joy in your own humble circumstances or in your humble estate. But Mary is now going to take her eyes off of herself. She is now going to stop focusing on her personal humble circumstances and the hope that she has that God has given her in the Christ child inside her. She's going to take her eyes off her and say, the hope of this Christ child promise is not just for me, but it's for everybody. And she gets her eyes off herself. This, that's the second thing that I want you to see today is that this great reversal means finding joy in the exaltation of others. Not only do you find joy in your own humble estate, but secondly, you find joy in the exaltation of others. I'm going to sneeze. Oh. <laughs> and now I'm not. Okay, it'll come back. Uh, prom- <laughs> well, look at the lights, right? What am I saying? Okay. Um, in, <laughs> in verse 50, uh, Mary makes a change. Look at the the change of focus. She's been focused on her own humble estate. Now look at verse 50. And in his mercy, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Um, This is so great. She moves now to thinking about everyone and how God is going to lift them up and exalt them. This word mercy is one of my favorite words in the Bible. Um, before Jesus was born, a couple hundred years, when, um, when Jewish scribes translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek, um, so that most people who spoke Greek could read the Bible, uh, when they did that, the word, this word mercy is the word they chose to translate from the Hebrew word hesed. Now, hesed is this loyal love that God has for his people, this covenant-driven, relationship-driven, deep love that a father has because he made this covenant with the Israelites. And so much of his love is driven by his commitment to his word and this loyal love. Um, and, And this word got translated into Greek mercy, and that's the Old Testament that Luke is using. He's using the Septuagint, the Greek version. And he grabs this word, um, and he uses it as Mary's writing, as he's translating Mary's poem into Greek. Luke uses this, and he says, Hesed. This is what he says. He and his Hesed, loyal, committed, forgiving, merciful love. His love is for those who fear him. Now we have a, a Jewish term, fear. A, a God, it's the idea of a God fear. Someone who fears and follows the ways of God. Oftentimes, this in, for early Jews, this word God fearer was applied to Gentiles who decided that they wanted to follow the one true God. And so here we have, I think, Mary saying, this scope of God's mercy extends not just to his Jewish people, but to all people. A message that Luke stresses over and over in his gospel. So the question now is, Mary's saying, okay, the great reversal of circumstances doesn't just apply to me. It applies to anyone who has this this belief in the one true God. This God who loves them deeply with a loyal, forgiving love. This is for them. God takes all the lowly, all the humble people 
who believe in him, who place their faith in Jesus. She's looking forward to that. He exalts them. How does God exalt the lowly who fear him? Well, he does it with his strength. Uh, Verse 51, it continues. He has shown strength with his arm. This is a symbol of power. His his arm. I I, I think he uh, envisions God being having a ruler, having a scepter of power in his hand, and the almighty God is extending this power. With Mary, she's blessed to carry the Messiah of the world. But what, what about the rest of the people that he's exalting? Well, now we're going to really dig in to poetry. Now, I've told you this before, especially when we're in the Psalms. If there's any form of literature that I don't like, it's poetry. I know some of you love poetry, and I have a lot of respect for you because I don't get poetry. It's so much work. I mean, if I write a poem, it sounds like roses are red, violets are blue, right? Like that's about as creative I am or some kind of limerick. I just like to change the words of songs to make them funny. But I don't, so it's hard. And the reason I don't like poetry is because it's so much work. You have to work at poetry. You have to read it and think about it. And, but, and I, I don't want to work that hard. Just give me the story. However, having said that, with poetry, when you work at it, when you dig in, when you pause and slow down and take the time, it, it reveals its deep reward. And Mary is, there's a lot going on here. And I want you to see this. Let me just read the last uh, verse 51 and following and then go back and just talk about the structure here a little bit. So he has shown strength with his arm. She's talking about God. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary wants to describe in, 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 a, very, in a structured way the power of God. She says he has shown strength, the verse 51 with his arm. Well, how has he done this? She's going to say that he does this four ways. He has scattered. Verse 52, he has brought down. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry. Verse 54, he has helped. He has scattered, he has brought down, he has filled, he has helped. Now it gets better because she's, she's comparing these with each other. Oftentimes in, in uh, literature, we see, especially in ancient literature, we see, uh, when, we, when, when I write a sermon, I, I think logically, right? I start with my main point and then I flesh it out and until I've proved that what I said is right. That's kind of the way we think. Um, you may disagree with me or agree with me, but that's kind of how we do it. But that's not what Mary does. And they, she starts with an idea, and then she ends with a very similar and related idea. Her first point reflects her last thing. The second thing she's going to say is going to relate to the second to last thing. The third thing she's going to say is going to relate to the third to last thing. She's working in and working out. She does this here. She says, he has scattered the proud. 
But look at the last phrase. He has helped his servant. So for the proud, he's, he's scattering. The, the word help in that fourth part, he has helped his servant, is to fill back up. It's to provide or to supply what they need. This is so cool. He's saying for the proud and arrogant, the ones that are lifted up and high right now, those, for those ones, uh, he's going to fill them up. For, excuse me, he's going to scatter them and empty it out for the proud. But for the ones who have nothing, who are currently empty, he's going to supply exactly what they need. Look at this. Then he, he brought down the mighty. For the mighty, he's going to tear them down. And he just, she just continues to do this. He's filled up the hungry. So he brings down, he fills up. He exalts, he lowers. Like th- th- that's, th- that's this idea here that Mary is doing. She's saying that the almighty God takes those who are exalted and he lowers them. And he takes those who are lower and he exalts them. And she's using poetry to explain this. And so the first half of this, she discusses those who are currently exalted. The arrogant, those in the world, if you look around, the arrogant are the powerful, those who exalted position. I think Mary might have in mind here the scribes and Pharisees. Um, She talks about the powerful, those who are exalted, the rulers and kings, anyone currently in charge. The wealthy, those who have. These are people who are very different from Mary and very different from your average Jewish person in the first century. But she says, but God is going to scatter them, bring them down. When you compare, God humbles the exalted and he exalts the humble. In in the second half of these verses, he's going to take those who currently are lowly and fill up their bellies. He's going to empty the belly of the rich and fill up the belly of the poor. And he helps by assisting and supplying whatever they need. See, Mary understands the heart of the Heavenly Father here, okay? The heart of the Heavenly Father is for the broken-hearted. The heart of the Heavenly Father is for those who have not. For those who uh, uh, need and cry out because injustice has been done to them over and over. He loves those who are overlooked by the world around them. And he seeks, loves to seek justice for those who are oppressed. And Mary, and, and Luke is using this because he, he's hinting at a passage in Luke chapter 6 that Jesus is going to do. And, and maybe you've heard this. It really sounds a lot like what Mary is saying. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Of, yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you, those who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Do you hear the similarities to Mary's poem, Mary's song? Your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So Jesus has just said, blessed are the lowly. God will exalt them. Now he flips it. Woe, to the rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to those who are full now, for you shall be 
hungry. Woe to those who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for their fathers did this to the false prophets. Everything Jesus is talking about is foreshadowed in Luke chapter 1 in Mary's song. God exalts the lowly and he makes lowly the exalted. This is so powerful. Mary understands this heart. And so if you think about this, she, has, she says God has a heart for the person of humble estate without any influence, no voice, no one to advocate for them. God has a heart for the hungry, the people who never know when the next meal is coming from. You and I have a hard time relating to this uh, because most of us have some idea, we have something in our pantry that we could whip out. It might be that Spanish rice that you can't stand, but it's there, but you could, in a pinch, whip it out. Or lima beans. I'm sure there's a can of lima beans that it, it will be desperate times when I break that out, okay? Like, like, we can't relate. We know we could always go and find food somewhere, but in the ancient world, Every day for a poor person, they woke up with the question of saying, I wonder where I'm going to get food today because today may have no food. Mary says, God has a heart for people like that. How about to the powerless? The, the nation of Israel is in a position right now in the ancient world when Mary is writing where they have no political power. Rome has come and conquered them and taken over. Uh, Rome has set up some puppet leaders in place. The, the Jewish people have very little power. And Mary says, God has a heart for the powerless. If there is ever a call on the believer of, in Christ, if there is ever a call on the life of the follower of Jesus Christ today, it is the call to continue the work of Jesus by reflecting the heart of the Father in everything we do. Because God has a heart to exalt the lowly, and so should we, to reflect the heart of the Father and join him in the kingdom work that he's doing. God calls us to elevate the lowly because it's a reflection of his heart. Now, this is where you need to think. How has God called you to be involved in elevating the lowly in your life? This takes thought. God does not call the Christian to an easy life, but to a thoughtful reflective, engaged life. He has given us his Holy Spirit. You have to engage the Holy Spirit and think. Because if you think, oh, Pastor Dave told me that I need to exalt the lonely and when I pull out of here, there's a guy on the street corner over here who's got a sign and I'll just fish some change out of my ashtray and dump it in his bag. And I have exalted the lonely, the lowly. Uh, I don't think so. You actually may have done more to put shackles on the lowly than to help him. There are times when shackles are of a person's own making. There are times when shackles are institutional and societal. You have to stop thinking. or You have to stop thinking of yourself and start thinking and asking, how can I exalt the lowly? Because it's not an easy process. It, 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 for the crawler of Christ, it's, it's thoughtful. The easiest thing for me to do 
would be to uh, tell you something here. Okay, if you want to exalt the lowly, you have to vote a certain way. Now, do this. Maybe you think, I'd say, to, to exalt the lowly, you have to give to a certain charity or, or do this certain thing. Uh, but one of the things that I was just talking to a friend this morning about this, and, you know, like, at Waukee Community Church, you will never hear me endorse a political party. Uh, I would never do it. I just won't. Uh, but even if I wanted to, I, I would have no idea what to tell you right now. Like, I'm just scratching my head. I got, I, I got nothing. Like, I, I, would, I wouldn't even know how to do it. And people ask me personally. If you ask me just personally on my own, I'll go, I don't know. I, I can't figure it out right now. Um, it's easy just for me to tell you. The hard thing is for me to tell you, you got to think intelligently and engage the Holy Spirit who lives in you. It would be easy to wag my finger up here at the proud and influential and say, those people. It's hard to say, God, would you show me where I'm proud, where I'm arrogant? That's hard. It's easy to drop money in the red kettle, you know? <laughs> Write a check to a charity. It's hard realizing that money does not exalt the lowly. God does. Money just often makes things more difficult. It's easy to just say on Thanksgiving Day, I'm going to go serve at a soup kitchen somewhere. Make it make me feel good. It's hard realizing that, you know, it's really not about your feelings. I'm not feeling good. In fact, it would probably be better for you to serve at that soup kitchen any other day than Thanksgiving because they're already struggling to accommodate all the people who want to feel good on Thanksgiving. You've got to think. You've got to engage your brain. Realizing if you're going to exalt the lowly, it's much more difficult than you think. Um, do you remember the show Extreme Home Makeover? I think it ended in like 2012. I don't know. It's been a while. They, it started, they would go into someone's house who had problems and they would fix them. But it, it got more grandiose. And it ended up by the end, they'd go into somebody's house, some person who was down on their luck, things were tough, and they would tear down their entire house and in six days build them a brand new McMansion. Like this giant thing. Uh, and it was awesome. Like it was fun. And every, they'd scream, move that bus. And they'd get so excited. And they'd give them this tour of this giant house. Uh, I, do you know what happened to most of those? I mean, they don't do a follow-up, right? What happened? Uh, most of them lost that new house. You're like, wait, it's a free house. They don't even know what a mortgage. How could they lose this house? Well, one, they gave them a house that was five to ten times bigger than they needed. Their property taxes sometimes in case extended or expanded to 10 times what they were. Their utility bills tripled or quadrupled. These, these, they cursed them. They did not bless them. And what's more, why did they do this nice thing for these people? Well, because they're making money on a television show. They're staying in power. They're doing it not to lower themselves and exalt someone else. They're doing it to exalt themselves more. See, we got to think. We got to think. 
Um, one of the things that I love is the Renew, Renew Resale Shop in Des Moines. Uh, Philip Herman and his group there. They're, what they're trying to do is tell people like, hey, uh, we're not just going to give free stuff away. Like, we want you to have ownership in this so people can volunteer their time and earn store dollars to, to purchase stuff or they can purchase it with their own money at a deeply discounted rate to say, we're not going to be part of a problem. We're going to be part of a solution. It's thoughtful. <laughs> we get all this because just like Mary, we recognize that this is God's heart. If we're going to do things God's way to exalt the lowly, we have to think. We have to think. We have to be led by our conscience and by the Holy Spirit living in us. God owes us nothing, but in a great reversal, he has given us everything. And guess what? We get to be part of that for others. It is a privilege and an honor. And he wants to engage us in this mission. So today, it's just really the application of these two things. Personally, I don't know where you are at, but if you are feeling the weight of being hum of your humble estate, whether it's holding shame personally, holding on to your sin, just feeling the weight of your personal shame, God exalts the lowly in Christ. And then start exalting others. Be part of this. Engaging your mind and thinking, God, goes, God owes us nothing, but in a great reversal, he gives us everything. Let's pray. God, your word is hard. <laughs> your word is challenging. Um, at Christmas, Heavenly Father, we stop. And Lord, help us to be the kinds of people that, that long to reflect your heart. Help, God, us to think, to engage the Holy Spirit living in us. Help us to relish this idea that you have exalted those of humble estate. Help us to live as exalted ones in Christ. And then help us to be part of exalting others for the glory of God. Because we exalt you. You are first and foremost. You who became low for us to exalt us. Let us do that for others. In Jesus' name, amen.